0: You're listening to the Chancellor Pink Podcast on Chancellor Pink Radio. I thought I'd do a short podcast on why I write songs, how that got started. For those of you that also write songs or for those of you that just love music, maybe you'd find a little interesting from the perspective of a songwriter how that comes about or why. I think if I trace my history back personally, there are a couple major triggers that caused me to think of myself as a songwriter and to, and to experiment and try to be a songwriter. They both happened when I was a little boy. Uh, one would be um, the fact that my parents, although neither of them were particularly musical my mom played the flute growing up my dad sang in the church choir and had a good singing voice but neither was particularly you know neither exposed us to musical influences instrument playing you know like uh, at a very young age I don't think parents back then in the early 70s were all about giving their children golf lessons and things they do nowadays you know it's kind of nuts the the way they try to force their children to get really really good at things even when they're like six because it's very competitive isn't it it's so competitive the creative especially the creative arts I mean uh, extremely intense creativity uh, competitions exist in the high school level and it and before that but back in the day in the early 70s my parents weren't like that at all and in fact I think really when they got married and carried on as parents with my mom being a stay home mom and my dad going to work they pretty much gave up kind of a lot of the arts they would go to a movie here and there but they were really investing their lives back then you believed in America you believed in the family and even though they were Democrats and more liberal-minded they had this strong sense of family values and Giving their lives to, you know, being married as parents and living, a, you know, keeping a household together. So the music and the arts, that's more like a selfish thing that people do more for themselves. And sure, you could be a couple that's really into that, but they weren't. But my mom did join a record club when she first got married, like in the late 60s. And she got all these albums. And she would listen to them. But then basically by the early 70s, she had put them all away in this commode table that I actually have in my place right now. Still this very, very old piece of furniture that I love. Uh, I also have a coffee table that uh, I have pictures of me when I was two walking by this coffee table. That's also in my apartment. Back when they built furniture from real wood and they made it well so they could actually last 50 years, you know. So I have this 50-year-old piece of furniture in my place. But in it, she would put her albums, my mom. And when I got to be around six, five or six, somewhere in the early 70s, 70, 71, 72, I pulled them out and started playing them on the record player and really loved them. So... That's number one, is the draw into music. I then got her to get me all these 45s out here on the radio, go to the record store and buy me the single, cut out records from the back of cereal boxes they used to have, you know, like by the Archies and things. I loved that, buying a box of cereal just to cut that out. It was magical to me to watch that play. But also the influence of when my dad recorded this song, At Atlantic City in a little booth, he sung a song to my mom, Portrait of My Love. And I played that. I could barely hear his voice. It was like a ghostly distant sound because it was, you know, one of those cheaply recorded little 45s. I actually think it was an EP. It was, what's the faster speed? Not 45. 78, I think. Wasn't it? 78 RPM. When you played him faster, I think it was a 78 RPM, but the grooves were worn down by then. Cause I think he recorded that for her, like in 64 or something. And I was listening to it say in 68 or nine, like when I was three or four, but I loved trying to hear, I would hear his voice just a little bit here and there. So I think hearing my dad sing and, and the fact that he was on a record singing that excited me about music and the making of music. And then my mom's record collection, which was full of songs covered. She didn't have Beatles albums, um, but she had albums by artists who covered Beatles songs because they were huge, obviously, in the late 60s. So there were a lot of Beatles songs on there. She had a Tom Jones album, Andy Williams. So there were these crooners that, that were very emotive and passionate. So that really struck me and hearing their album struck me and then at some point 1972 73 somewhere in the early 70s for a Christmas gift I got this organ it was on a stand and it was this pipe not a pipe organ but a play by number organ and um you know made the traditional organ sound it was not, not a great piece of a I mean it was probably you know I don't know back in the day 20 dollars you know um, nowadays maybe it would cost you $50, you know, I don't know. Uh, but, and with the organ though, was a songbook, a play by number songbook, And it was all the songs of Bacharach and David. And I would open the book and try to play along. Now I never got the hand. I was too young to understand whole notes, half notes, et cetera. So the rhythms were way off. And trying to use two hands at once and playing the different chords and notes at the same time, the left hand playing the chords and the right hand hitting the notes, I never got that down either. But I, one thing I could do is play a lot of the notes of the actual main melody off rhythm. <laughs> so it not very good. But, but the key is I felt a part of the song. See, when you're playing along to a song and making music with it on an instrument, you feel like you're writing it. You f- so I was just tremendously drawn into the process of playing that organ, and really, you can't imagine a better, you know, songwriting duo to to learn from, to be exposed to. I mean, to this day, I think ba- you know, Burt Bacharach and Hal David hold up as one of the, in my opinion, like top three songwriting duos of all time. I mean. Maybe four. I mean, maybe George and I were Ira Gershwin, uh, Paul McCartney, and John Lennon. And then I personally think uh, Morrissey and Johnny Marr were a great songwriting team. But right up there would be uh, Bacharach and David. Um, So to be learning music and how to play it, like from an inside track, tracked, tracked, track, track. I was right the first time. It's kinda of like that that that, you know, uh seat versus seed. You know, what do, what do you say? Uh I don't know, I forget the phrase, but is it seed or is it seed? Anyway, tracked, track, oh, untracked, off track, un you know. He got untracked. No, he got on track. T- on track. No, he got untracked. It's so weird. There's so many phrases that people don't know what is the right one. But if you Google it, I'm sure they have the answer. But so learning, learning songs from Backrack and David, that was probably one of the weirdest asides I've ever bored you with on a, on a podcast, and I feel like I need to apologize for it. I'm terribly sorry, because I couldn't even remember the phrase for seat or seat. That's so terrible. To bring something up and not even know what you're talking about. So, anyway, these songs, learning them was amazing. And it really put me in the driver's seat of like making music. And when I would hear the actual versions, like recorded by uh, Dionne Warwick or whatever, I'd be like, what? Wow. But, you know, I remember seeing Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid at the drive-in with my parents, and, of course, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Heads was in that song, B.J. Thomas singing it, and I was like, I played that on the organ. So I felt a real part of that, and I guarantee you that is why, in conjunction with the albums that I played growing up in the 45s, and in conjunction with hearing my dad sing, that all combined to make me feel like making music was doable it gave me the confidence the ability to think that I could make music additionally I do think it's just genetic I think you know I see it in my sons I mean you know they write music write songs they have the drive to create and it's just something that's in the blood you know so it was in my blood somehow some way um, like I said my mom did play flute my dad did sing Um, so, but I was the first one, I think, in the family to actually step out and write a song. And I did it at a very young age. I did it by, since I couldn't play an instrument, I was too young, hadn't learned, and didn't really want to, because I I tried the organ. It was hard. You know, it's hard. And I didn't want to learn how to read notes. It was too hard. And I didn't want a hard. What I wanted was fun. And what I wanted was to just do what I wanted and make shit up. And so I got a tape recorder. And I loved my tape recorder as a little boy, man. I taped everything. I taped interviews with family members. I taped sounds outside. I loved, you know, you had a, yeah, remember the old tape recorders where you had to push down, play and record at the same time and it had a microphone and you had to hold the microphone up. Oh, I I can picture it now. I love that tape recorder. Wow, with a handle on it, you know, it's like a little teeny suitcase. And I would sing into that mic on that tape recorder and make up melodies and, um, write them down and that absolutely started seven eight nine somewhere in that range i mean i know i did it when i was a boy in wisconsin we moved up there when i was nine um i'm pretty certain I, i know i started making movies and filming scripts i wrote back before we moved so there's a movie i made called crooked murder with me and my sister that my dad filmed for me um It's just a silly little plot, but I know we made that in 1975 or late 74 or early 75 before we moved to Wisconsin, so I was eight when I made that, Um, and I believe I was writing songs by then. So I'm going to say seven, eight uh, when I was singing into a tape recorder, and again, it was a combination of just having it in me, having the desire, but the excitement of playing along with that organ and hearing my dad sing and the idea of being able to be a part of making music. And I love music so much. Still do to this day. You know, I've made a couple podcasts already all about my love for music and the significance of music. So just the concept of making it, creating it, was of course a no-brainer. I had to do it. I just loved it, and I loved the idea of coming up with melodies. And you know, when you grow up in the early '70s, right on the heels of McCartney and Lennon, and you're playing a songbook with Backrack and David, there's just melodies abound. And I think the songs of the late '60s, early '70s on the radio. Now we got into rock. Sure, there was guitar, there was guitar rock in the '70s. There was there there were heavy rock songs and all of that, but. Think back to the hits of the 70s. Sometimes get a compilation of the top 100 songs of the 70s or whatever, especially the first half. So There's just a lot of one hit wonders, a lot of artists that used um, Motown sounds. You know, there was soul, there was pop, there was rock, there was ballads, there was country with Olivia Newton John and her style. Um, just a lot of genres, all on AM radio, pop radio, hit radio. You would turn on your regular commercial radio, AM back then, and you'd hear everything under the sun, tons of styles. So it's a, it was, I think, just a wonderful time because you got to think ten years earlier, right? Sixty-two. Eh, you got rock and roll, you got some Motown, but you know, rock was still developing and evolving. You know. And then five, 10 years early in that, the early 50s, you've got rock and roll, but it's still coming out of the big band age and that sort of thing. I mean, rock and roll in the late 60s, early 70s was really at its peak, you know? I mean, in terms of discovering itself and finding new boundaries and mixing genres. And the hits were truly representative of that. And so I think growing up on that kind of hit radio was like growing up on a smorgasbord, a buffet of every delicacy you could want in food. You know, there's filet and lobster and, you know, um, liver pate and, you know, um, everything you could imagine spread out and you just gorge yourself and you just eat like a so That's what it was like for me growing up on AM radio. And so if you're a music lover... It was a perfect time. And if you want to be a creator, there's so many melodies to absorb. And what I think happens to all creative people, we sort of have a switch. We turn on the listen mode and the learn mode, and then we switch it the other way, and it's the extrapolate and create mode. You interpret it and put it out in your own way. and But the receptor mode, it's really like, a photographic memory with music. And I think through the years, especially growing up as a boy, I held on to a lot of licks and choruses and melodies and styles, and they all just found their way in and sunk in, and they were a part of me. And so when I flipped the switch and became the writer, it just sort of came out. I mean, and I would make them up, and sometimes I'd be like, ooh, that's kind of not original. but And then I would change it to something and shake it up to make it more original. I was always trying to emulate what I heard and loved. I was always thinking, oh, I love Paul McCartney's melodies. He is such a good tunesmith. And I was trying to come up with a nice, bouncy Paul McCartney melody. Or, oh, Burt Bacharach, you know, his his melodies are so, you know, the rhythms are so staccato and then smooth. And just, I want to write something like that. And um, so... To me, I always had in my mind so many options, and I was always excited to try a new type of song and a new option. And, you know, whether or not I played an instrument or when I finally got my first guitar and how I played it, I never cared. You know, I had a recorder I got, you know, because in in grade school, they give you recorders or middle school to play as an instrument. I used that on some songs. I had a little Casio keyboard that played some dinky sounding melodies. I used that on songs. You know, I used my organ, the old organ that I played Burt Bacharach and Hal David on. I used that on home recordings and used that on songs. My mom bought me, when I was like 15, a guitar that was... A Jackson soloist, but it was a, it was a lefty. I mean, I'm sorry, a righty guitar, and for whatever crazy reason, I decided I, I would, I only felt comfortable playing guitar like a lefty. So I just restrung that upside down, and I mean, I just restrung it for a lefty and played it upside down. Retarded. I mean. No offense with that word, I'm sorry, but it's not probably not the smartest thing to do, but it's what I did because I didn't care. And I would play it real hard and pop strings and keep on writing songs with a four string guitar, with a three string guitar. You know, once it got past three strings, you had to change the damn strings, but I never really wanted to bother to learn how to string my own guitar. So my mom would take the guitar to the music store and have them restring it for me upside down. And, <laughs> and I'd bring it back and write songs with it until I broke strings again. Just because to me, you know, you know, we all have had friends, right, who, who are collectors of instruments and who, are, who practice and try to become great guitarists or great whatever. But they never wrote a damn song in their life, right? I knew this one guy, you know, when I was in my 20s or whatever. He bought a house. he was married. He made his entire basement a recording studio. He owned like, 20 guitars. But he never wrote a damn song, not once. Because he loved Yes and the bands that just did complex, detailed music. And to him, playing guitar was such an art form and so complex and like heavy metal rock and all of that. That he could never, he was always too intimidated to make anything up on his own. Because he, he thought it would just suck and be pathetic, you know. So some people think of music as being this like classical, complex stuff. And so they never write a song because they're not at that level. But I grew up, like I said, on the simplicity of pop melodies and the complexity is in the structuring of the song. And so when do you put the bridge and what is, where, is the, where is the chorus and how long do you go with the verse and how do you transition from verse to chorus and all these types of things. I learned that. That's, the, that's as complex as it gets when you're into rock and pop rock. And even the genres like, you know, blues and soul and they're simple too. And I just think that, you know, what I did that enabled me to become a songwriter at a young age and to just continue through my life is have the interest, first of all, have the exposure to some degree and the interest, have some genetic ability, but also have the have the courage or the confidence is a better word, the confidence to just try something and see where it goes and not worry if it's any good. And so I recorded so many crappy songs that I'd make my sister listen to, that I'd make my mom and dad listen to. And they were always like, well, that one's almost good. Well, that was, no one liked my music, my songs growing up, because I would write broken rhythms and the instrumentation would be very primitive. But I I just kept at it. I just kept at it and I got better and better. And I eventually learned to almost kind of sort of play guitar, not, not any better than a chord guitarist. And I never learned to play a bar chord. Just regular chords. <laughs> and I, but I learned how to pick some parts, and I learned, I learned different stuff. I just kept at it. The only way I got any better is because I didn't care about learning how to play it. That's how I got better. I tried to take guitar lessons. That lasted about a month. I couldn't stand it. I did play viola for four years when I was younger because I wanted to get an instrument, you know, learn an instrument, and that's all they were offering in fourth grade. They weren't offering band until fifth grade. They were offering string instruments and orchestra in fourth. So I jumped in and I picked the viola, viola, whatever. And I was real good at first, and then I just quit practicing. I mean, my stance on being a musician, and it really hasn't changed much, is... If you love the art of playing an instrument, you can work on it and work on it and get great. But it's going to take a lot of work because it's like any sport. They say, you know, the football players, they're better when they're thinking less and reacting more. But they can only do that once they learn the playbook and know the positioning and know all. So it takes a lot of intellectual learning first, but you have to learn it so good that you can then forget about it and then just follow your instincts. And then your instincts take you where you need to go and you're not even thinking about it. Kind of like when you shower. You know, you might have learned how to wash your body in the shower and you have a ritual you go through. But next time you're in the shower, realize I never I do this and I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm not even thinking about this. I'm probably thinking about my job or something else or I'm singing or whatever. Maybe I'm thinking about something else. But the point is something we can't talk about on this podcast. I don't do that, but some people. But the point is you're not even thinking about all the things you're going through. The process to clean yourself is just a natural process. Well, that's the way playing an instrument can become. Sort of like riding a bicycle, driving. You're not really thinking about it. You're just doing it. But I never wanted to work hard enough to get it to that level. Sure, I would love to go on a guitar and go and play you know, Beethoven on piano. But it was too much work for me. Because I wanted to write songs. The only reason I had the guitar in my hands was to create a melody with it, to create a background noise, to sing over or something, to make a song. Same with the keyboard. And to spend all that time learning how to play it was holding me back from all of these songs inside me that needed to get out. I needed to get these songs out of me. And so what I would advise, and this is just my opinion, everybody's different, but when it comes to a creative perspective, a songwriting perspective, for me... I was most I've I've always been most prolific when I just pick up an instrument and just f- start fooling around and I have no intent to write a song necessarily find something I like structure it as a song oh now I've got it now I'm now I'm the, I've got to strike while the iron's hot I got to write a melody over this figure out a vocal melody make something up find something you like And then put words to it. And then hurry up and record it. And get that all done right away. Because I know some people put things off. They take they put songs off for years. They come back to them years later. They come back to them weeks later. I feel like what happens to me is if I lose interest, if I lose steam in the creation of a song when it's coming out of me. And I put it down. I just leave it go. I never get back to it. I think that the birth of a song is a correct word. Because think about the birth of a child. If your baby's halfway out of your wife or your girlfriend in the modern world, you're not married yet, are you going to say, all right, hold her right there. We'll come back to this childbirth next week. Come on, honey. Let's go get dinner. Okay. And she gets off the table. And with a baby hanging halfway out of her, you both got to eat. You go to a football game. You you carry on with the work week. And then a week later, you go back to the hospital and finish the birth. No, you don't. You got to get that baby out. And that's the way I feel about a song. Got to get that baby out. It's the birth of a baby, and it's coming. And until it's done, you push, you push, you push. It's like Lamaze. You breathe. Breathe, honey, breathe. Get that song out. Come on, it's almost out. You just got to get one more verse. One more verse, baby, come on. <laughs> that's the way I look at it. And not only do I want it written and done, I want the melody, I want the lyrics, and then I want a recorded version. Why? I, I do sometimes come back the next day, or, but, but only the next day or two days later, to get a better recorded version. But even that process, I want to hurry up and finish. Because the passion is there. That's when the ideas are there. That's when the thoughts are there, the drive. And I want to share it, too. To me, a song is made to be written, only to be heard. I'm not doing it just for me. I'm getting it out of me because I have to. But then also, I'm dying to have people hear it, always. I understand some artists, some creative types are not that way. They might write a poem or create something and they don't care if anybody looks at it. That's not the way it is about songs. I guarantee if you ask 10 songwriters, 100 songwriters, 90% of them will agree with me on this. A song is meant to be heard. Music is meant to be listened to. And you're not writing music and the difficult work that it takes to write a song and complete it and then sticking it under a you know under a pile of books on a shelf and leaving it there i mean you really do want to at least see what someone thinks of it you know and it's like i said as a young age as a boy i would finish up some crappy song i made on a tape recorder and immediately run around and make my my sister mother and father all listen to it and they hated it all right i mean they grew up having to listen to raymond's songs but if they hadn't been there And I hadn't been able to do that and get their negative feedback. They were honest with their negativity. They were not, you know, they did not baby me at all. And I think that helped me tremendously. I think their negative, real, honest response helped me to know that, oh, wow, I thought it was so good. I was so excited. I guess it is shit, you know, and I think that kind of self-editing and self-criticism is hugely important if you want to get any good as a creative artist. If you think everything that you poop out is great, then I think that you'll just keep making shit basically. (laughs) Whereas if you poop it out, get it out no matter what it is and share it and then understand, okay, that wasn't worth it, it'll just help you be that more prolific. I mean I think the key is don't hold back don't get self critical to the point where you can't get where you're blocking yourself but have a tough skin get it out let it flow and then let it be shit and then move on and then get another one out and get another it really is about realizing that these impulses these ideas they're just they're going to keep coming relax into it and then when they're gone they're gone for a while i've gone through periods Like when I got divorced in the end of 99, from 2000 until I started my Chancellor Pink recordings in January of 2006, I still played in a band and I wrote some songs. I did have a period in 2002 where I wrote about 10 songs and made a little home recording album. And I wrote a couple other songs in 2004. um, Disgusting, which was on my first Chancellor Pink album and a song called A Girl Named Jesus. But I would say aside from the twelve songs I wrote on my own, and maybe I don't know, twenty I wrote or maybe twenty-five in the band that I was still in in the early two thousands, that was it. I wasn't really prioritizing songwriting. I was listening to music. I was discovering music. I got my first computer. I found, you know, wonderful internet radio stations. I was downloading songs off the internet off of, you know, Napster, then Soul Seek. I was sharing music. Ah, you know, I thought it was wonderful, the access to free music, even though that was all ended. And so I was absorbing more great music in the early 2000s. Um, and then when I wrote again, I just shut it. I stopped listening. I when I'm creating, it's very much the you switch the switch the other direction. And boy, I just started pumping out songs like crazy again as Chancellor Pink over a four or five year period. And. Now, I haven't written a song in seven years. Something like that. I haven't written a new original song on my own, from my own mind, in like seven years. Since 2011, I think. And um, I'm okay with that. I know I'll write another one someday before I die. But even if I don't, I'm okay with that. It comes and it goes. But when it's there, you've got to act on it. You've got to move on it. And I think that... um, don't hold yourself back with with respect to your ability to play instruments. Um, if you like learning how to play an instrument and want to get technically good, do that. That's good. No, it helps and i think uh you know had i ever bothered to do that probably my music would have taken off more i i can imagine i can just imagine the great songs i could have written if i actually knew how to play a guitar if i actually learned keyboard you know if i actually really took the time it would have it would have taken to get skilled on an instrument i probably would have increased my songwriting capabilities that much but at the end of the day I was more interested in the songs and I was born or at least interested in of vocals and words and singing. And so that was my that was if I had a natural gift, it was that. And so that's what I was pursuing. And I used the inter- instrumentation to to buttress the vocals and to background, the vocals. And it was never my in my mind, it wasn't a priority to use an instrument as a key feature in a good song. And that's why when I finally joined a band in 1986 for the first time at 20 years old, I joined it as a singer and the other people played the instruments because although I had a guitar at home, a couple guitars and wrote songs with them, um, I didn't have the confidence or inclination to stand up in front of a group of people and play guitar. But I did have the confidence and desire and inclination to stand up in front of people and sing Moreover, I, I wrote a lot of the songs in that band, even I got interrupted by a phone call there, but what I was saying is I didn't have, uh, the inclination was to use your instrumentation to write songs, not their verse. but when I was in the band that I joined at 20, even though I didn't play an instrument, I was responsible for or was given or took on the responsibility for... Structuring the songs, writing them, and I wrote all the vocal melodies and the and the lyrics and named the songs. We would, and this is again just to give you an idea, some insight into how bands maybe write songs as a band. This is how we did it. Um, I had already written a bunch of songs on my own all my life, but when I joined the band, I I sort of I was new guy. I was the new guy, the singer. So I didn't see myself when I stepped in, and we went down to the basement to practice. You know, we had a guitarist, a drummer, and a bassist, and they would jam out. The guitarist would come up with some rift or some idea for a song, and they would play it. And from that, I would sing over it and make up things uh, live there in the basement. And I just went with that. And probably the four years I was in that band, I probably only brought down maybe 10, 15 songs of my own that I had already written that were already finished to introduce those into the band. Maybe 20, but not many. And... um even though I kept writing them on my own and was making my own music, because I didn't feel it was really my place in that band to make it my band, I regret that very much. Because I really do feel, in my early twenties, I could have been even more. I mean, we did a good job in that band; it was a good band. But I believe I could have been even more successful had I had the confidence to believe in myself as a the frontman of a band. Truly, not just the singer, but you know, if had I. Brought my guitar to a practice and, you know, asserted myself as the songwriter of the band and had my band play my songs, you know, and have it be a band of my songs. I think uh, that could have happened and I could have been very successful. Um, But instead, I was I joined sort of joined someone else's band that didn't have a singer and that also didn't write songs, the band that I joined. So I ended up becoming the songwriter, but it was in, with, in conjunction with everybody. And the songs were good, but you know they lacked. I liked the songs. I liked the music of that band, Six Gun Jury. But I feel like overall, I had so much more in me to give. So many more creative ideas. But I didn't have the ability to get the confidence of the band behind me. Uh, they were not looking for me to be the leader at all. And so I had to take a back seat. And so I did for four years until I couldn't anymore, until, I, until it was smothering me, and I felt like it was limiting me too much, and so I quit. But I didn't get the technology to record on my own then, you know, until, um, let's see, 16 years later, when I did Chancellor Pink. And that was the, I, I always knew that what I did with Chancellor Pink, I could have done 20 years before, but I didn't have the recording equipment, and I didn't have the money to get it and um but i certainly didn't get any better as a songwriter in the intervening 20 years uh and i didn't get any better as a, a instrumentalist um i just basically got the confidence i had the solitude the time the space and i had the uh, i finally i finally just did it and i and i'm i'm The reason I'll be happy if I never write another song or record another album is because I I stand by my four Chancellor Pink albums and the compilations I've done um, and the videos I've made. And I'm I'm proud of the fact that at least I, I did it and I recorded and made music on my own, completely on my own. And I was able to let go. And all those songs that I was recording since I was a little boy, I did the same thing, only with better quality and the ability to record them and mix them and engineer them and so forth. And... I don't know, I, I stand by it and, and that's my legacy. And if I died today, I'll say I, I was Chancellor Pink. I, yeah, I was in a band called Six Country and we made some nice songs. But to me, Chancellor Pink is who I was when I was seven, eight, nine. Chancellor Pink is who I was when I was 14, 15, 16, writing songs and recording them at home about high school drama that I was going through. You know, Chancellor Pink is the songwriter I always was and always wanted to be. When I was in Six Gun Jury. Chancellor Pink is me. And it's rough around the edges. And it's erratic. And it's all over the map in terms of styles of songs. Because that's who I was. Because I learned from bands. You know like the Beatles. Who played every single genre of song you could imagine. And from Burt Bacharach and Al David. Who wrote in different stylings. And I learned from bands like Queen. Who every member of the band. You know wrote a song. And they were all very, their album was, every album was wildly different with Queen in terms of the stylings of the songs. So that's who, that's who I learned to write songs from and music from and listen to growing up as well as the crooners. And, um, and so that's, if my music is diverse, maybe overly so, that's because that's what I liked. And that's what I wanted it to be. And that's what I had in me as a songwriter. And I'm sure it's not as palatable to put together a group of songs that isn't in one specific genre. It's harder to sell that. It's harder for people to put an album on and say, oh, that's all so cohesive. I love it. And then they'll play it over and over again, say when they're working out or for a romantic dinner. No, I don't have a single album you could put on in a certain setting. It's you know Every album has a bunch of different settings to it. So that's just what I, that's what's in me. That's the kind of, Songwriter I am, that's the kind of creative person I am. But with Six Gun Jury, this is a style you could, if, look, if you're looking to collaborate with people, if you have a songwriter in you but you're not necessarily sure you could do it all on your own, I just want to share, this is the way we did it, okay? We would get together, go down in the basement, the guitarist had a rift. He had about four or five of them every time and and he we we had a compet. it wasn't a competition because he was my cousin we, we liked each other we were friends you know he brought me into the band the other two guys were his close buddies so one of them actually named buddy <laughs> still friends who I, I consider friends to this day people i really loved being knowing and being in a band with us. so they were good guys but they were his friends and i was the outsider the younger cousin coming in like three years younger and um which matters when you're 20 years old, right? Because they're 23, they're older, 24, and you're just 20. It matters. But we had this sort of competition in the sense that he would want to bring down a number of riffs because he was really excited to see how they came out with the drum and bass behind it and what I did to it. And so what I would do is I would go home, we would jam out, say, for, I don't know, five to ten minutes on each one of the riffs, and we would record it on tape, and I would take it home, and I would listen to that cassette tape of those four or five songs that we played around on. And I never s- didn't make any of them a song. I would take each one and make each one of them a song. I listened to the vocal things I made up and I would just go all over the place and just make shit up, gibberish, no words that made any sense. I would sing down in that basement. And I would just just create, in the spur of the moment, vocal melodies. And when I was sitting at home, I picked okay. I like that. I don't like that. I like this. Oh, okay. Here's a good chorus. We'll use this as the chorus. And so I would structure the song. You know, how many of the verse? How many of the chorus? You know, we should do this here. Maybe pull out a little drums here. And I had ideas for how the song should go too. I heard it in my head as a finished song. I would take this like ten minute recording of a jam session on a piece of music, and hear my hand, my hand, my head song, and I wrote it then. I wrote the verses and the and the choruses, and I named it It, with lyrics, with vocal parts, and I knew exactly I had a piece of paper with the words and the title. I would date it all the time, and I knew in my head exactly how I was going to practice. I would go back to the band, and those four or five uh, jams we did, I would have four or five pieces of paper with four or five named, finished songs, and I would tell them, okay, this one, and I would tell them the breakdown of how I structured it to go with my lyrics, and they would play it, and that was the song. And we would move on. And so the, the pushing, the competitive or, or inspirational is probably a better word, pushing between me and my cousin was he was excited to have riffs every time we practiced. When we were doing a new practice, he would have new riffs. And he would, he'd like to get them out because he knew they were going to come back as finished songs. He'd play them in the practice. And then the next time we got together, I'd come back with finished songs. And I always took it as a personal challenge that I'm finishing all these songs he writes. Whatever he starts as just a little riff, whatever it might be, I'm going home with that and I'm going to come back and say, look, I finished it. It's a song. And I did. I never let up. And that's why really I was, I say I, we were prolific as a songwriting band because I felt like it was my obligation. If I came back and hadn't, finished some of those riffs as songs. I even ones I didn't particularly like. There were some that I was, "Eh, wasn't that hot on." I made it a song anyway because I wanted us to have finished songs, a bunch of them available and we'd like what we like, you know. And I loved it. The other reason I did that, I loved it. I loved making I loved having finished pieces. I don't like leaving projects unfinished. I don't like starting and not stopping. I don't like, you know, frayed edges. So I loved Um, creating and finishing these final little shiny objects called songs. And since the band wasn't letting me lead the band and wasn't letting me bring in all my already finished songs, I liked the sort of control I had. I think it was pretty a lot of control, really, when you think about it, in making the songs, naming the songs, you know. And frankly, I was a little bit always happy about the fact that when trying to name our band, they, we were all throwing out a bunch of ideas. They all agreed on, and of course I agreed to it, they agreed to name the band Six-Gun Jury, which was the name of one of my songs. And it was actually a name of a song I wrote at home alone that I brought to the band. So it was actually one of the songs that I wrote Soup to Nuts on my own. So yeah, I was flattered. I'm like, sure. Yeah, okay. I like Six-Gun Jury. <laughs> it's a song name I like. I wrote. Yeah. Hell yeah. So I guess I was enjoying the control, but I'm not a control freak at all. I'm a definite collaborator. But I was enjoying the fact that I I knew I knew that I really should have been leading my own band. But I didn't have the confidence and I didn't have a professional instrument and I was nervous as fuck about the idea of standing up playing a guitar, being untrained, you know, being a a neophyte on the guitar. Um so I just said, "You know what? I'll I'll, I'll take a back seat to the to the musicians." Um, but as a perk, I get to basically, you know, take take the music we, we jam out to and make songs out of it. And I have the – I'm the song maker. You know, we we play music, but I make the songs. And I love that. I love that role. And I was good at it. Again, I've been doing it all my life prior to that, you know, since I was a little boy. So creating vocal melodies and structuring lyrics and structuring a song with vocal melodies and voice alone – is something I'd done, that's how I started on a tape recorder. So doing that in the basement, you know, over top of a band jamming came natural to me. And structuring it into a song after the fact was fun. And I loved, I loved to hear I was excited. I was excited. My cousin was excited to hear how his riff sounded with the band behind it. And I was excited to hear how it sounded when I arranged it as a finished song I wanted to see was I right I think this is really gonna work good this way and when I sing these parts and so on let's see so I was very excited to test it out as a finished song and um so that's how I wrote in Sixth Country we wrote as a band um but I'll tell you boy I wrote completely different as Chancellor Pink That was about starting out with an instrument, making music, and then finding something I liked, recording it, and frequently completely recording the music, like all the overdubs, the bass parts, the additional rhythm, the additional keyboard parts, the additional guitar parts, and finish the music completely as a three-minute, 12-second song, whatever, soup to nuts, beginning to end, music done, no lyrics, no vocal, No name, no idea what I was going to say. None. But the song would be done. (laughs) The song as music would be done. You know why I saved the vocals for last? Again, because it comes the most naturally to me. I would play around on an instrument to create melody and finish the song as music and save the words and the lyrics and the vocal melody because I knew I knew, I could just make that up. That would come to me. I heard things in my head. I heard a thousand options in my head all the time about vocal melodies. And lyrics, damn, I don't even care what I'm going to sing. I just start saying something and then I know. I write the first verse and already I'm like, ah, I know what I'm going to write about. I can see what I can do here. It just comes out, you know? I'm going to give you one example of a song I wrote and then I'll end this podcast and how I wrote it because I think it's just... Something that you can hear as a songwriter yourself or as someone who loves music. To, here's how a song can be written. And it might be of interest to you. Coming up here in a, in a little over a week is going to be the 25th anniversary of my mother's death. September 19th, 1993 is when she died of ovarian cancer. Ten years ago, it was the 15th anniversary. I'd gone to work that morning and I was feeling... I was feeling it. I was feeling down about her death because I don't know, you know, five years, 10 years, those are anniversaries, but it still feels close. But something about 15 years gone, it felt far away. And I was sad about that. I felt far from my mother and I missed her. So I took leave, left work, went out to Eaton park, had a breakfast, was talking to my father on the phone. While I was sitting there, it felt good It just, just to have said, you know what? I'm at work, but I need to leave. And I took leave and left. And it felt good to be out of breakfast and missing my mom sitting there in an area. I went to Robinson where I grew up and I was sitting in the Eaton Park where, where she had been over the years, where my sister had worked, you know, where I grew up when I was in high school, I'd gone with friends on weekends after being out somewhere, we'd go to Eaton Park, you know, so it felt good to be there back in that environment while I was missing my mom I drove by the old house and I went home and I still got home It's still morning maybe 10 in the morning and I and I just decided you know I want to write a song for her I want to I want to write a song commemorating my mother on the 15th anniversary of her death but for some reason instead of you would think if you're going to write a song for your mother who's dead you'd pick up the acoustic guitar and pick some gentle melody out Or you'd think that you'd pick up the keyboard and pluck out some gentle, sweet piece. But for some reason, I decided I need to write a song that starts with the bass guitar. I hadn't done that yet in my life, where the song and the basis of the song stems from the bass. Now, why I got the idea to do that when I was writing a song for my mother, I don't know. But again, it's because you're just creating. You're just saying, go for it, make it happen, let it come out, you know, and that's the mood I was in. I'm going to create, I have an idea what I'm going to do, but I have no idea how I'm going to do it, and I know I want to write a song that starts by bass, so I'm going to pick up my bass. So I created, I found a drum rhythm I liked, and I created this bass line with changes and parts that I really liked. I got it sounding real thick and heavy, I did some twanging, slapping of the strings, that I liked, the sound, it was cool. And I finished the song, it was about three and a half minutes, and all it was, was a recording of the drum and the bass. And I liked it. And now I thought, what the hell am I going to do with this? (laughs) How am I going to make this into a song? So I picked up the keyboard. I said, "I'll I'll put a couple keyboard parts on it first, before I mess around with the guitar. You know, I never picked up the guitar and put any guitar in that song. I ended up experimenting with so many different keyboard sounds and laying down all these keyboard tracks that the song ended up being just vocals, the drums, the bass, and all these keyboard parts. And now about the lyrics, the keyboard parts that I found that I liked that went with the bass, some of them reminded me of horror movie parts, like the music John Carpenter would create, like the theme for Halloween. You know that theme? Or The Exorcist. You know, that, those melodies. Or Suspiria. I just started to realize there are a lot of horror movies that have these repeating Lalo Schafer score for Amityville horror. You know, la, 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 la. These kind of haunting little melodies and I, I realized that my keyboard parts were kind of like that. So lyrically I worked in into the lyrics even though I was writing about my mother in in a sentimental way and in a way of hope. I worked in the mention of Father Karras, the priest from the exorcist who throws his body out the window to kill himself to to, keep, to kill the devil within him to save the girl's life, you know. And I threw in Donnie Darko So I I, I brought in imagery of the cemetery and the outside and darkness and sort of the horror film lyrics because of the music that I created with my keyboard over top of the bass part that was the root of the song. So this gives you an idea how the song and what made it was a bunch of different little things going on at the same time, even though at its root was a song about my mother on the 15th anniversary of her death. And. Um, you know the final chorus of that song. I should have known. They'd never keep you down. You were too light to bury. We prayed tears at the cemetery. Tears at the cemetery was the song. I uh, You could hear it today. And mistake it maybe for. An 80s Depeche Mode style, you know, keyboard rock song. Definitely 80s overtones, given the the sound effects I use for my keyboard. But no, it's a song from my mom. And you can hear the bass line. You can hear it definitely as, a, as an important aspect of that song. But I don't think you'd know. You'd think of it as a keyboard song. I don't think you'd know. That's a song that was written with a bass guitar. You know? So that's the way you can write a song for your mother on the day that it happens. And I wrote and recorded it and finished it on September 19th, 2008, on her 15th anniversary of her death. So songwriting is a combination of efforts involving instrumentation, melody, lyrics. and But in order to write... Don't hold yourself back. Don't be too self-critical. Be open. Let it flow. And use every trick that you got every time. You're never putting too much in there. You're never trying to make it too cute too hard. Sometimes, okay. Sometimes one of the best tricks of writing a great song is just keep it simple, stupid. The kiss theory, keep it simple, stupid. Because... If you try too hard to make it too much, it just sounds like a convoluted mess. Where if you just strip it back, you could make a really beautiful song that people will love forever, just letting it flow. So sometimes that's true. But what I'm saying is don't be afraid to just be whatever's coming. Put into it. If you wanted to write a rock song and you end up writing a country song, so be it. You know? If you were trying to write a ballad, but by the time you added overdubs, it started to get so noisy that you made it into a grunge song. So be it, you know, each time it can be whatever it ends up being. Don't hold back. Let it evolve. Let it be. Same thing with the words. You don't have to be telling one particular story. You can tell two or three of them in the same song. Half the song could be confessional. The other half could be total BS, made up stuff, nothing that's happened to anybody that you know of. You know, one song could be pure. One entire song could be pure fiction. Another song could be, you know, autobiographical. It's whatever you're feeling at that moment, let it go. Let it flow. The worst thing you can do is plug it up, be too critical, silence it, because then it may never come back. And additionally, I think the worst thing you can do is start a song, start writing it, and quit and put it aside. Because that's a habit It's hard to break. Eventually, you'll have all these fractured little bits and pieces, and nothing will be finished. And where does that get you? Nowhere. Drive on, be hardworking, be persistent, finish that song. Finish those lyrics, finish that melody. And even finish that recording, even if it's just a demo, so that you can play it for someone, get a reaction, and either go back and re-record it, scrap it, or master it, finish it, call it done. Those are my thoughts on songwriting. And I love you guys, all of you. Thank you for listening. Talk to you next time. Yabba da boop